we've been blessed indeed as a church community where we have so many wonderful musicians and uh, so excited to to continue to see what God does in and through that. Uh, before we dive into Exodus, uh, I'm going to invite Dale to come up. You guys remember Dale? If you don't know Dale, you got to get to know Dale. Dale is our, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to come up with a fancy title for you. You can, you can applaud Dale. You are, you are our international liaison. There you go. There you go. You like that? So grab that mic right there. Actually, no, that one's all like spooled up over there. So uh, let's grab this one. Dale is going to frequently update us with our international partners. Dude. I'm used to it. I have papers and Bibles falling all the time from up here. So uh, I know. Look at that. I minimize it. So uh, one of the things we're going to do as a church community is just continue to keep in front of you just what God's doing, not only here with us, but also internationally with ministries and uh, church partners that we're connected to and we have been for a long time. So uh, Dale has graciously stepped up and said, I will uh, stay on top of these these brothers and sisters and just bring a report to us uh, hopefully monthly right yeah. hopefully right exactly. <laughs> as, as much as we hear from them yeah, exactly. exactly so dale take it away all right brother cool. good morning everyone good morning good morning so this was hilarious but the last update i gave you uh i said i didn't have anything from our india church and as soon as i walked out i checked my email and there was an update <laughs> So I'm going to share that update with you now. It's a little late, but it's from December, so I'm going to share that. Um, our partnership in India is known as Harvest Ministries, and that's um, Director Caleb Arayapati there. And so I've got a short, it's not going to be as long as the last one, but it's going to be a, an update there. There's a lot going on in India. Um, Harvest Ministries has witnessed a remarkable chapter in its God-given journey, from the dedication of a new church to overcoming health challenges about that uh, Caleb had a, uh, let me see, where is that? He had a heart attack, 100% blockage in his arteries, but he w they managed to do an angioplasty and he's okay. But it was very uh, tense, it was a very tense time, and I'll touch on that here in a second. Um, amidst the joys, we face a challenging uh, time as our beloved director, Caleb Rayapati. During this challenging period of suspenseful anticipation, our hearts were heavy with worry as we awaited updates on Caleb's health. But with your prayers and the grace of God, Caleb successfully underwent angioplasty and uh, is on a steady recovery. So that's awesome. Yes. Um, so the year began with a three-day revival and the dedication of a new church in Basanth Nagar in the Petapali district. Witnessing the growth and establishment of this church among the stone cutters, which I think is interesting. There's like this whole region of, of people that cut stone, and there's a, a church that has been planted there. I think that's really neat. That was the coolest part. Um, the faithful ministry of Pastor Abraham, it was a testament to God's faithfulness and the impact of collective labor for the Lord. Amidst the joy, okay, we did that one. Uh, throughout the year, Harvest Ministries has remained committed to the community and service outreach. Pastors Sunil and Yasuratnam uh, participated in dental hygiene training in the slums of Mumbai, which is really amazing. Uh, educational support was extended to 68 alumni students, enabling them to pursue higher education. Memory skills training for high school students and several cancer awareness seminars underscored our commitment to holistic development. Uh, in April, they drilled a bore well at uh, uh, Basant Nagar Church and providing access to clean drinking water to the community. The alumni met in Hidden Castle, brought together 97 students, creating memorable experiences filled with fun games and shared testimonials. And so this year, 1,500 people were benefited through the cancer camps and general medical camps in the remote p places of 
Telangana uh, states such as Chukapar, uh, Basanthnagar, Bomakur, uh, Bajanki, and Gambiropet, uh, offering free comprehensive screenings and free medicine distribution. They are really big out here with this. They have an HIV clinic that they are pushing a lot of energy into, and it's amazing. More than 500 HIV patients were benefited through our monthly, uh, dedicated monthly clinic with the doctor consultation, groceries, and medicine all for free. Even some of the members of the congregation uh, suffered from that and were, were benefited from these HIV camps. They're, they're very important. And so finally, Director Caleb uh, was participating in uh, medical conferences here in the USA, uh, reflecting uh, their continuous pursuit of knowledge to enhance healthcare initiatives. December, uh, finally, was packed with, uh, they had a campus Christmas, which was amazing. I wish I had pictures. Um, I do have, the, we do have this picture. That's um, uh, Director Caleb and Usha, I believe. I'll have to check the name of that. Yeah, that's right, okay. That's good, because I didn't know if I was right. <laughs> Um, they had revivals, the HIV Christmas, and uh, planning and arrangements. And so that is really it for the India update, but there are some prayer requests. I just want you guys to jot these down. Um, this is from Caleb. Uh, Please pray for the safety of all our team in midst of a hostile environment. So very much like Saudi Arabia, it can get rough out there. And so we need to pray for their safety. Um, pray for the health. Uh, oh, and also pray for the family of Pastor Daniel who died two weeks ago, so that would probably be four weeks ago. So they did lose a pastor. Um, pray for Pastor Caleb's health. Um, pray for our school and staff that we will continue to make an impact in transforming children through education. And finally, the financial needs of the ministry, both personal and ministerial. And guys, that's it for this one. So thank you for your time this morning. First and foremost, good job getting through yeah. some of the names of those <laughs> places. And oh, oh, that's awesome. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in India. For Caleb, I've known Caleb for about 20 years. Super solid guy. And, and in case you missed it, one of the things Caleb does is he takes pastors, trains them as dentists. So they go in these villages, provide free dental care. And then as people are waiting for free dental care, they have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Um, I wouldn't say captive audience, but kind of captive audience. So uh, super, super great ministry. Uh, these men and women are literally, they are in such hostile, highly oppressive places. Um, they need your prayer. We, you know, we, somehow we forget that a majority of the world lives in such um, difficult environments, especially living as a believer, follower of Christ, uh, sharing the gospel. But these men and women are compelled by the love of Christ to, to, to do these things even in the midst of, of such um, persecution. And so uh, we need to pray, pray for them. And here's what we do know as the church, right? The, the gates of hell will not stand against what God is doing, right? And so uh, we'll pray that not only would they, but us continue to storm hell with a squirt gun in the name of Jesus. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the update. Thank you for the update uh, uh, from Caleb and Usha and his family. Praise God. We praise you, God, for the, 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 the healing for Caleb, for the, the wisdom of the doctors to get him through this, uh, through this physical um, um, difficulty, Lord. Uh, thank you for sparing his life so that he can continue to not only love his family, but continue to do the work you've impressed upon him. Thank you for the various ministries they're involved in continue to resource them, Lord, with not only finances, but 
um, other resources, encouragement, hope, joy, uh, a spirit of perseverance, Lord, as they continue to go forth. In a land where there are 333 million gods, I pray the one true God, you, God, would be exalted and draw all men to Jesus Christ, men and women, children to Jesus Lord, work powerfully in this country, work powerfully through Caleb and his ministry and the other leaders there, and look, we look forward to future great reports of what your, your gospel work is doing in the lives of, of all people. Lord, thank you for just such faithful workers. Lord, let them know their love, let them know they're cared for. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dale. Give Dale a hand if you would. And real quick, if I can shamelessly plug, uh, we got a couple other... Oh, hold on real quick. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I know. I know you're super eager about, about that. It's, it's going to be epic. So uh, we have a couple other missionaries in our midst. Uh, they happen to be my two boys, Addison and Hudson. Uh, those who, again, stand up right where you're at, guys. So um, not only are my, they're my sons, they're my bodyguards. So um, you don't want to mess with those dudes, football players. Uh, Hudson's a freshman at Valley Christian. Addison's a junior at Valley Christian. Uh, I'm going to have them briefly tell you where they're going in March because it's a shameless plug for you to perhaps financially help them out. They're almost fully funded. They're about 70, 75% fully funded. Um, so, uh, but I'm going to have them just tell you where they're going, what they're going to be doing, and then we're going to pray for those guys as well. So Addison, go ahead and uh, let us know. <laughs> also, too, I think uh, on your on the list too is like uh, help shovel snow for some of the elderly that are shut in. So, uh, as you can see, you probably won't have a problem shoveling snow. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think Addison has one pair of long pants. So, uh, how many are on your team that are going? Okay, awesome. So all students from the school. So. Thanks, Addison. Um, so you can support Addison if you want to go to Alaska. Hudson, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Awesome. So there's nothing like a couple parents sending their kids to, to other places to serve Jesus. And so uh, this is actually the first time the school's opening up to freshmen. Usually it's for junior seniors only. And so they've opened up the freshmen and sophomores. And I think at, uh, Hudson's the only freshman of his team going. And uh, so I'm excited for my boys to experience this. Uh, if you would want to support them in this, uh, go ahead and uh, designate that via your, your giving here at the church, or you can give them cash. Just make sure you let me know you give them cash. So uh, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do there. But I told my boys too, as I even told my daughter who was gone to Kenya two years in a row, um, it was at age 15 that I went on a trip to Mexico and God changed my life. 
there and called me to full-time ministry on that trip. So I said, you never know what God's going to do, whether it be Mexico, Alaska, Nicaragua, wherever. So uh, let's pray. Let's pray for these guys, their teams. And uh, uh, it's all because we want to make the name of Jesus known. Amen. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, Addison, Hudson, the other students, the other teams that are going to various places around the world. I pray that not only would those students uh, get all the money they needed for their, through their fundraising effort, efforts, but Lord, you'd even go before them in preparing hearts of people they're going to connect with, Lord, that they're able to bring the good news of Jesus to these locations. There's not a place on this planet that doesn't need to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would just uh, encourage them, compel them, Lord, supply for their every need. And uh, we look forward to hearing a great report when they return. So give them traveling mercies, Lord, and give them incredible experience in the name of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. So Exodus chapter one, turn there in your Bibles. Oh yeah, we got this. Steven Spielberg, eat your heart out. <laughs> Davey put that together. Good job, Davey. There's actually a whole minute-long trailer that he put together. Is that available on social media? So at Church is a Verb. Make sure you hit it up on X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snap, all that stuff. Uh, on everything. Just go, go look for it. So super cool. So Exodus chapter 1. Turn there in your Bibles if you would. So we don't encourage Snap and tick and all that stuff. We just merely say we, we, we might be out there somewhere, hopefully spreading some good. So have you heard the phrase before? Sometimes before things get better, they get... Can anyone say amen? I feel that. I have felt that. I feel that. Sometimes before things get better, they get worse. Last week we are in Exodus chapter 1, and it just seems like Egypt is really just putting the kibosh on the, on the people of Israel. And just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. And we're going to see this here in the text this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through, through 22 and dealing with some pretty highly sensitive topics. I've really been praying that the Lord would not only prepare me as a messenger, but prepare you as, as hearers, listeners, that... Um, you don't leave here misunderstanding some of these important, perhaps even controversial topics, uh, specifically having to do with uh, the sanctity of life or, or pro-life arguments. And so we're going to talk about this. Look at Exodus. Uh, last week we saw, uh, just as far as recap, the fact that... Uh, the, the, the Israelites were increasing in number. They were multiplying. A new pharaoh comes into leadership, starts fearing this, this nation that's developing. And, uh, and what fearful leaders do is they often uh, lead with brutality and hostility. Uh, be careful of an insecure leader. Be careful of a leader who, um, rather than dealing in the realm of reality, deals with imaginary scenarios and often leads with abuse and cruelty. Um, this is not only true some 3,500 years ago, this is true today. And uh, beware of any leader who leads uh, with these kind of tactics. Uh, Pharaoh was afraid of what he saw as far as the Israelites increasing in population, thought 
that they would begin to outnumber the Egyptians and then perhaps make friends with Egypt's enemies and form an alliance and conquer Egypt. Um, be careful of self-preservation of national identities. We'll talk about that here in a bit. Um, and so what did Pharaoh do? He said, we're going to put an end to this increase in population. So we're going to make the work harder for them. Perhaps hard work would allow the, would force the men to perhaps not have time to be with their wives and increase the, their families. But these guys still found time with their wives. Good. Those, those are good husbands right there. Uh, they were still making babies, even with all the hard work that was pressed upon them. And uh, all of a sudden, he's just realizing that his program is not, is not working. So he goes from plan A to plan B. Look at verse 15 of Exodus chapter 1. The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra, which means beautiful, and the other was named Pua, which means splendid. He says to them, Why are, uh, when you are helping the Hebrew women give birth and see, upon, uh, see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter then she shall live. But the midwives feared God. Circle that phrase, feared God. That is the epicenter of this passage. But the midwives feared God. Be aware of men and women in your life that fear God. I'm going to tell you right now, those are the people you want to be around. You're going to see why here in a moment. And did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife can even get to them. So modern day translation is that they just keep popping them out and we can't get over there fast enough. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Plan B is not working. It is backfiring on Pharaoh. You think he's just going to just say, well, you know what? I'll just let them be. No, 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 no. Now there's a plan C. And it came about because the midwives feared God that he established households for them, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts today. Three things I want us to look at this morning. Some points we'll kind of spend a little bit more time on than others. The first is this. There's a context of desperation. This is a fearful leader who uh, has the title Pharaoh. We don't know the Pharaoh's name. It's just merely a title. And it's interesting that when you have a passage like this and there's names given, God wants you to be aware of the names. He doesn't give us the names of Pharaohs in the entire book of, of, ex, of Exodus. We don't know the names of the Pharaohs, but we, we get to meet a couple names here, Shipra and Pua, two midwives who feared God. But there's a context of desperation here in which the Pharaoh has had a plan to stop the population increase. It has failed. 
And now he has continued to double down on his insecurity. He's going to double down on his, his weakness as a leader. And he's going to turn now from slavery to slaughter. He's, going to, he's so desperate that he's willing to kill the lives of those young boys that are defenseless and innocent. Now the same pattern as in an attempt to destroy a generation of Hebrew males was also instituted years later by a, a, a ruler named Herod. This is nothing new, right? There are always these contexts of desperation in, in, the, in the annals of, of world history in which men and women have resorted to evil tactics like we see here in Exodus. So we have to understand this is a context of desperation and it's not going to get better for Israel. But when that desperation leads to point number two, a culture of death, we need to stop and take notice. Because what is being established here in Egypt is a culture of death. Think about how evil this scene is. When the leader calls in these two midwives, Hebrew midwives, who have Hebrew names, to basically say, I want you to take your occupation as midwives, who are agents of delivery of life, to now become agents of death. It goes against not only their very nature as far as their job, it goes against their very nature as far as uh, female intuition. That he wants these women to participate in an evil act of killing these boys as soon as they're born. Truly evil. The, the brutality that exists at this level always stems from, a, from an ungrounded, unguarded fear so that, that sin always hurts the innocent. Matter of fact, write that down. Sin always hurts the innocent. And then Pharaoh thinks that these women are going to... What made him think that these women are going to sign on to his plan? Isn't that kind of stupid? Isn't this the way leaders who, fearful, insecure leaders, they think that you're also going to believe in their worldview. They think you're going to participate in their lie. And, and, and it is scary when people do believe in not what's real, but what's imaginary. And then other people jump on board. He probably thought that these Hebrew women, again, these are people, their own people, that they're going to participate in his evil program. And yet we know they don't. Why? Because they feared God. We're going to unpack that here in a moment. Think about the fear that these pregnant mothers had when they heard of this edict. Remember, there's no ultrasounds back then. There was no way for them to know if they were going to give birth to a, a little boy or, or a little girl. So imagine the fear of these moms hearing about this edict. And this is much more than xenophobia. This is an all-out attack, ladies and gentlemen, on God and his purposes for humanity. And as we've already talked about last week, is that Exodus is really not about Pharaoh versus Israel, Pharaoh versus Moses. This is ultimately about any world power who tries to set themselves up against the sovereign, all-powerful God of the universe. And so, you cannot fight against God and win. Opposition to life is always hatred of God. 
Matter of fact, maybe you want to write that, that down. Opposition to life is always hatred of God. Slavery and death are tools of the enemy. Liberty and life are the works of God. Just so we, we're all aware of this. Slavery and death are the instruments of Satan, while liberty and life is always the work of God. So I say this because I wish a culture of death only existed some 3,500 years ago and didn't exist today. But it does. And even just last night on the news, watching what's going on in our country, where in every major city in our country, there is a march for women's reproductive rights. And what a horrible title that is. Can I just tell you, it should be a march for women's reproductive responsibilities. There's a, it takes on a whole different shape when you talk about this. I want you to know, first and foremost, so I don't forget to say this, that as we talk about pro-life, to this topic of pro-life, if you are in this room and you have had an abortion, that is not the unforgivable sin. There are women in this room, as I speak, that have gone through that act and they have found forgiveness and freedom in Christ Jesus. And we support pro-life ministries and agencies because God is a pro-life God. The Bible gives us pro-life principles. And unless I, as your pastor, this is not a political issue. This is a pastoral issue. This is a parishioner issue. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't understand how God views things, because that's where the problem is, we tend to not see things as God sees them, and we begin to adopt practices that do not reflect the heart of our God. So I want you to know that I want this to be a safe place. I want you to know that there are safe resources. If this is something you have experienced, I talked to a, a woman just before service began just to get her, her thoughts on this. And while forgiveness can be found, there's a healing process that also needs to happen for anyone who's gone through something like this. That I want you to know that that's a journey. And when you're in a safe community and you've experienced something like this, to know that there's, there's seasons of processing and seasons of, of having to work through stuff. This is a holistic issue. This has nothing, not, this is, doesn't just have to do with a pregnancy. This has to do with the holistic health of a woman and men who have engaged in such practices. Our God is a pro-life God. If, if, you if you're wondering where in the Bible does it support this, get ready for a litany of verses. Here's what we believe, that all of humanity is created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect and grace and good treatment. We're not anti-abortion, we are pro-life. Which means church, we don't only care about what happens with a, when a child is not yet born, we care about that child from womb to tomb. Right? That we should support 
not only the, 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 uh, being a voice for those that are voiceless and, and defend those who are defenseless, but once that child is born, whatever we can do to make sure that that child grows up in an environment of flourishing, we want to be a part of that. So we're womb to tomb, right? Write that down. That's a good phrase. And we are pro-life because we believe that that life which begins at the moment of conception is created in the image of God and that God cares about that life even before it is born into this world. So a few verses, Genesis. Gotta go back to Genesis, right? The creation mandate, right? God says, let us make man, woman in our image. So every child, every infant, every um, unborn child that's still in the womb is, is, is indelibly marked with the image of God on its life. And this gives it intrinsic value. And then God says, be fruitful, multiply, meaning this is a good thing. Pregnancy is a good thing. Giving birth and reproduction is a good thing, right? Be fruitful, multiply. And then you see sin introduced into the world, right? And then you see this pattern of now uh, other human beings taking other people's lives, right? We have the first murder between two people, Cain and Abel. As if God doesn't care about the shedding of innocent blood, right? The taking of another person's life. And this is, there's a haunting passage out of uh, Genesis 4 where God says, Cain, what have you done? I hear your brother's uh, uh, voice, blood cry out from the ground. And then God realizes that there's just this wickedness that's taking over. Where now there's this total disregard for life, right? And this is why with the Noah account, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, it says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So you see the value that God puts upon this, this topic. Uh, we'll, we'll see in Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shall not murder. Right? There is an intentional act of taking a life that God says, this is not part of my creation order. Right? Even in, in Psalm 8, this is an amazing one, right? Like, uh, oh God, what is man that you should, you know, think of us, think favorably about us? Verse 2 of, he, of Psalm chapter 8, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to, to still the enemy and the avenger. What the psalmist is saying here is, you know what's more powerful than anyone who's flexing their, their military or political muscle? Is the fact that even the cry of an infant is more powerful than your AKA-47. is that awesome? I love that. The, 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 the narrative through scripture continues. Psalm uh, 127 verse 3 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. The very fact that there's a gestation of this human being within the mom's tummy is a wonderful thing. And God says that is to be honored, that is to be respected, that is to be revered, that is to be treated with sanctity. Why? Because Proverbs 31 says, and this is the, the famous Proverbs 31 uh, woman passage, right, which is, is awesome. I always call my wife P31 woman. She's a P31 woman. Praise God for P31 women. Amen? Look at verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. This is the biblical mandate for every single person who knows Jesus, that we are to be a voice for the voiceless, to defend those who are defenseless. And there's not perhaps a more 
important segment of our population that needs defending than those who can't stand up for themselves. Psalm 139, perhaps one of the most familiar, right? The psalmist talks about the fact that you have formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, the, the orchestration of God and how much he's involved in every single human being that is conceived. I praise you, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in, in secret. Isn't that cool? Like, you knew, like in that secret spot, space inside my, in the womb, you knew me, right? Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, how uh, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows. God cares. And God says we have a responsibility. Because since 1973, when the famous Roe v. Wade thing went down, there's been over 60 million abortions in this country. 3,000 a day unacceptable unacceptable and to know that majority of abortions take place because the pregnancy is inconvenient as a matter of fact one ad that i recently read of for birth control advertisement said this parenthood is an elite club where the cover charge is gaining 30 pounds and giving up on your dreams There's a narrative that is being formed and communicated that says pregnancy is just a dream crusher. You don't want to get rid of it. It's now a form of birth control. Can I back up really, 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 really far and just say this is why I believe in abstinence until marriage? Can I just tell you right now that God says you are to save yourself sexually for that one person who not only shares this, the worship of the one true God that you worship, but someone of the opposite sex that you're willing to commit your life to forever in the context of marriage, then you can get busy and then have babies. Amen. And I call me puritanical, call me old school, but I'm going to tell you right now, my way doesn't produce a culture of death. My way, which I, I believe is reflected in Scripture, you keep the marriage bed holy. You link up with someone of the same faith, of the opposite sex, and commit yourselves to a life together and say, we get to have babies together and take God's creation mandate seriously where we get to be fruitful and multiply. And let me just tell you, it is fun to be fruitful and multiply. God's the designer of this. God is the designer of this. And he designs it, why? Because with every single human being that is conceived, that child is con conceived in the image of God. And so we have to really take seriously our position on these things because in Christ we find the perfect pro-life attitude and advocate. In Christ we have the, 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 the God-man who approaches every single human being not as a burden but as a blessing. If you don't want to get pregnant, let's keep our pants on. Amen? If you don't want to get pregnant, save your sexuality until you're married. Abstinence is always the best course. So you wait. But like I said, we have to develop a heart for every human life. All of human life is important. It's every age, every ethnic background, every socioeconomic status is important. Ladies and gentlemen, being pro-life means 
that not only do we want every child to enter the world, but we want to make sure that that child thrives from womb to tomb. I'm thankful for men and women who give their time to work with pro-life agencies. And I know we have a few in here, I know. Uh, Second service, Pam and Dick and Linda and Jim and uh, I know Doug and Karen have been a part of stuff like Doug, Karen, raise your hand. Doug, soon to be elder. We're going to pray them in next week. So, But th- there's people you can talk to. This is, this is too serious a topic not to address or talk about. I perhaps should do it more. Uh, but it, you can't help it. But it jumps right out at the beginning of Exodus. Because there's a culture of death that is being created and is being perpetuated in our culture and we cannot sit by silently and allow it to exist. Look at Isaiah 49, 15. Maybe you've never thought of this verse. Check this out. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. You know what this says to us is that parenting, it may be difficult and it may be hard. Let's just be honest. As parents, haven't we forgot our children at times in a mall situation? <laughs> Whatever. Maybe that's just us. But, um, but here's the good news. Here's what God establishes. Just as much as you long to care for, I, your God, care for you more than you can ever realize. Isn't that amazing? Before we even consider the fact that parenting might be hard work, it, we get a glimpse of God in his care for us. That we should extend this care to, to all, all people. So now plan B backfires. It backfires and what started out as this kind of subtle clinical infanticide now moves to open public infanticide. These women that were called to run to the, the birthing moment and, and if they saw that this was a, a, a boy, literally you are to suffocate that child and dispose of that child because the mother's being distracted during childbirth and you just say, hey, your baby, I'm sorry, was born, stillborn. Has now turned into a national statewide policy where in verse 22, Pharaoh is so insecure and so fearful, thinks he's God, he's opposing the one true God, and says, now when a child is born, Egypt, you're invited to be participate in that. If you see a boy born among the Hebrews, go ahead and throw them into the Nile, which is really, really sick for two reasons. Number one, because it was a less bloody, less messy way of killing children. Because when the Nile flows, and you just throw a baby and just wash goes wash downstream. And then secondly, it's also disgusting too because the Nile was part of their worship. They had a pantheistic worldview. And blame was then shifted to the river that if it accepted the baby, then it's, it's on the river. We, we, we see your offering and sacrifice as something good. But if the river rejected it, which it wouldn't do because the river itself is powerless. And you see how disgusting this is for someone to blame shift, right, and not take responsibility for the killing of innocent lives. All under the narrative of national security and self-preservation. Imagine the weeping and wailing among 
Hebrew moms who are they're one moment breastfeeding their child and the next thing those babies are being snatched and tossed into the Nile. The weeping and wailing that took place in the land during this time. Disgusting. And here's the irony of it all. There's a future judgment coming upon these people like nothing this world has ever seen. There's a God who vindicates his causes. There's a, there's a God who vindicates his people. Because you remember what happens with the plagues. And the last plague being that of the killing of the firstborn in the land. They're going to feel the weight. Experience the consequences of their decisions. Ladies and gentlemen, I do not wish for any person to bear the weight of ungodly, anti-biblical decisions when it comes to the life of the unborn. There is freedom and forgiveness for those who come and submit to the one true God, the author of life. There is freedom and forgiveness for those who have treated life as insignificant, as, as dream crushers. There's freedom and forgiveness found with a God who says, know my plan, and it is for flourishing. It is for fruitfulness that we are called to stand against a culture of death whatever that may look like, which is the last point. We're going to talk about this in detail. A, 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 um, a conviction of disobedience. Because here's what I love about these ladies. They are the first example in Scripture of civil disobedience. Praise God for Shipra and Rua, Pua. These women are amazing. This is the earliest and, and probably the most uh, uh, and powerful example of resistance against the evil regime. And it's two ladies. Let's go, ladies. Sometimes us men can be real dorks and be a little wayward. We need ladies to kind of steer us on the right path, right? Here are two women to be celebrated. Two pro-life heroines to, to add to your Heroes of Faith chart. Right? Like we're going, we've never met these ladies before. Well, here's the introduction. And may their example move us to not only fear God, but protect life. What do we mean when we say civil disobedience? What we mean is this, because it's illustrated throughout Scripture. I'll cite a few examples here in a moment. Is that you submit to government or any sort of governmental authority up to the point where they ask you to do something that is clearly contra contradictory to God's laws. Now, let me, let me make sure we understand this. Because there are some people that exist in our community, could be in this church, that are just looking for opportunities to be civilly disobedient, period. And I'm going to say probably majority of people's civil disobedience is not biblically based. They just want to get into they just want to get into the weeds and muck it up with people and just be on honoringness is not a spiritual gift. Can I get an amen? Just because you don't like your government, just like the person who says Biden's not my president, you don't understand what it means to be a citizen. As a human being that exists in the country of the United States of America, Biden is your president. Whether you like him, you must biblically honor the office. 
because I can go toe-to-toe with you and talk about character of a president. I can go toe-to-toe and talk about competence of a president. But, but I don't care about those things. If you're a follower of Christ, you are called to obey the government, whether you agree with them or not, up to the point where they clearly ask you to do something that's opposite of what God commands in Scripture. These two women, they were called to kill babies. I would say I've already established a a, a pretty good foundation to say, well, that's when you clearly say we obey God, not man. Amen? But when it comes to paying taxes, guess what? (laughs) Cry all you want. You still got to do it. Well, I don't care where my tax money's going. Well, obviously you you do care where your money's going because you support Apple. You shop at Target. So you're like, no, I don't. Well, good for you. Special place for you in heaven. Do you realize that your arguments of being civilly disobedient that aren't rooted in Scripture is just making you a greater ass than you were to begin with? It, it hurts, I know. But perhaps the world is more resistant to Christianity because you haven't shown submission to authorities that you don't agree with. How are they going to believe your submission to a higher authority being God in your life? 1 Peter chapter 2 says you submit even when it's hard. Husband, wife, boss, president, fill in the blank, you are called to submit. Up until whatever authority is in your life says, do something God clearly says is wrong. wrong. Right. Daniel and his friends. Daniel was told, you can't pray to your God. Daniel said, stop me. He suffered for it. His friends were told to bow and worship the, the, the statue. They didn't do it. They suffered for it. Peter and James, John, were called to stop speaking the name of Jesus. And they said, well, you can't, we can't. And you know what? To be honest with you, throw us in jail. But we can't stop speaking about the one who's changed our lives because we must obey God rather than man. Even Jesus himself, right? You're telling me I can't heal on the Sabbath as if your laws are higher than God's laws? But all those things that people were civilly disobedient in were clearly spoken of in Scripture. A lot of the stuff that we are civilly disobedient with, with our government, ladies and gentlemen, are not found in Scripture. Biden is your president. I would hope to God you pray for that man. And whoever may be our next president, I hope to God you would pray for that person as well. Man or woman, Republican or Democrat. Because Romans 13 says you submit to your government. And you would hope that we have a government that rewards good and punishes evil. And it seems like we've been on a really slippery slope lately where it seems like it's just the opposite. But again, did God not also tell his people, you will suffer? Not everything's going to work out the way you want it to work out. Not everything's going to reflect biblical convictions like you perhaps have. You are called to submit up until whatever governing authority says to do something that clearly contradicts God's word. Three things. 
that are going to help us when it comes to this principle of responsibility. Because here's what I want. I want biblically responsible citizens. Please hear what I'm not, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't be politically involved. Politics, it's amazing. Our government is amazing. I believe in the original vision of the founding fathers. I still believe we live in a great nation. I believe that the principles that this nation was founded upon, that the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, all of our amendments, all those things are amazing things. But somehow, some way, over the previous past few decades, we've married this, this followership of Jesus with this horrible understanding of who we are as citizens. We've turned our politics into our religion. We've turned the Supreme Court, we've learned, turned the, the, the halls of, of the Capitol, the, the White House, into our church. And that's wrong. We need to keep these things separate. Whatever government we reside in we are called to pray for we are called to submit to up until (laughs) that government tells us to do things that god clearly says don't do so what is this principle of responsibility how is it fueled three things to consider number one obedience we are called to fear god first Notice these two women, Shipra and Pua. Woo, let's go, ladies. They feared God. This is what allowed them the fortitude to stand up in front of the most powerful nation, uh, the leader in the world, Pharaoh, and say, we haven't done what you asked us to do. Now, I'll tell you why, you know, which is really, really fun. But they feared God rather than man. And you need to understand how important this is. You need to understand why God says, I, I'm going to honor these women because they feared me. Because he gives us their names. Moses said their names are so important, we want you to remember them. Whereas the name of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the land, we don't get his name. Because you know why? God remembers those who are faithful to him, and he forgets those who rebel against him. Right? Think about the woman, uh, Mary, in, in Matthew chapter 26. Notice what Jesus said about Mary. We're given her name. We're not given the name of everyone that Jesus ministers to and heals. But Matthew 26, verse 13. Do we have that up the, on the screen? So in Matthew 26, Jesus says about the woman Mary and what she's done, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Meaning her love of me is to be recorded so that it inspires generations to come. You know what I want for your lives? The same. I want you to fear God in your heart, in your life, in your home, so that generations to come will remember you. Because you feared God. What does it mean to fear God? It means to live a life that says... I know he is a God who's full of gentleness and kindness and grace and mercy. And he has loved me like a father to a child. He is still holy and somewhat beyond my understanding and worthy of reverence and awe and respect. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. You know why? People are dumber than ever. (laughs) Because the fear of God is gone. Common sense ain't common anymore. 
There is a lack of knowledge in our culture. And the church isn't doing anything better to help it. Why? Because we continue to marry spirituality with politics with disastrous results. Ladies and gentlemen, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. You don't fear God? You want to live a life disconnected from him? Good luck. Stupid is as stupid does. Don't be stupid. Right? Fear God. This passage is dominated by fear and not in a healthy way. Look at Pharaoh. He looks upon the people with dread. He looks upon the people with fear. Why? Because he's insecure and fearful because he thinks he is the top dog and he doesn't realize there's a higher God that he's accountable to. So he brings in the chief of population control to report the bad news. Hey, your plan, Pharaoh, is not working. And then he brings in the supervisors of the birthing administration. You didn't know that's what it was called, but yeah, the birthing administration, which is Shipram Pua. And because these women feared God, they had a deep reverence and respect for God. They believed their life was to be lived as a total response. Can you write that word total down in your notes? When you fear God, you have a total respect and reverence for him. Which means you notch out more than just Sunday morning for God. Which means you honor God with every facet of your being. Mental, emotional, physical, monetary, time, treasure, talents, everything. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. I, I learned this early on in my life. The safest place for you to be is at the center of the will of God. Write this down. Obeying God is the safest place to be in your life. Obedience says my life is not my own. Obedience says my life is a gift. Obedience says there is a higher authority over me and there should be a fearful reverence to say, I want to do this for his honor. Think about what he's done for me. He, knowing we were sinners, knowing we were hopeless, knowing we were desperate, while we were yet sinners, Christ comes and dies for us. God's saying, you know what? I would rather die for you than live without you. So come and know me and know a life that is beyond anything this world could ever offer you. You fear God in every aspect of your life because he's the God who has designed you and created you and holds you accountable for how you conduct yourself. It's obedience. The one who fears God is a person that not only has moral conviction, but that conviction moves to righteous actions. Who you will fear will determine how you live. And what you believe will determine how you behave. These women feared the Lord. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Some are like, I want to get healthy. Fear God. <laughs> Go to the gym of your heart. <laughs> right? We think it's all about the externals, right? The fact that we stand in front of the mirror and either go yay or nay, right? And we allow the mirror to determine our worth. You are worth something because you're created in God's image. And you, when you begin and continue and finish with him, it prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Hello, Pharaoh. Your days are numbered. How about this one? Proverbs 22, verse 4. 
says this, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Hello, who's signing on? Is that awesome? Because one of the great themes of Exodus is whom will you serve? I'm asking you today, who are you going to serve? Is it God or Pharaoh? Is it God or Trump? Is it God or Biden? Is it God or Apple? Is it God or Netflix? Is it God or fill in the blank? Today, whom will you serve? Colossians 3.22, we don't have a verse up there, you can write it down. Obey earthly authorities, not as eye-pleasers or man-pleasers, but because you are compelled to fear your God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says this, Do not fear those who can only kill the body, but fear him who could kill both body and soul in hell. We've forgotten about God. We've gladly taken his space on, spot on the throne. Haven't we? The great C.S. Lewis, not in my notes, random. God has created us in his image, and we have returned the favor. Think about that. Some of you are like, wait, whoa, you need more coffee. That's what you need. Number two, lordship. So responsibility. How do we feel this, fuel this responsibility? Not only obedience, but we do it because of number two, lordship. God is Lord. I think even Lori, when she was leading us in, in music today, said, you know, we don't sometimes recognize Christ as Lord, but he is Lord. And the greater you recognize Christ as Lord, there's more life and freedom in that. Because when we don't recognize him as Lord, we think we're Lord. And part of God's lordship is for us to be responsible in protecting life. Everything we've already talked about, and these women do this. It moves them to such a degree that they say we're willing to risk everything to do what is right instead of that which is easy. And so these women step up and say we will protect the life of unborn infants. And that is the responsibility of every believer in Christ. If you do not see the value of protecting life, you do not understand the gospel. Third, it's this conscience that must be biblically formed. And I say this, and I've already touched upon this. A conscience that is biblically formed means you have a conscience and develop convictions that are based on God's word. Not based on your tax bracket. Not based upon your political party affiliation. You show me a believer whose conscience is not biblically formed, I will show you a train wreck in action. These are women who feared God why? Because their consciences were biblically formed. And they didn't approach submission to government as a blanket submission. They supported, they went to government and submitted as a biblical submission. There's a difference. Blanket submission says you just submit whatever. I'm not arguing that. I'm just arguing for a biblical submission, and that submission probably looks more in our lives than what we think it does. And these women are rewarded because they took their responsibility seriously. Point number two, the principle of revelation. We'll talk about reward here in a moment. We're almost done. Principle of revelation. Some Christian ethicists, imagine hanging out with that crowd. 
would say that these women lied and it was dishonorable to God. I'm going to tell you that they didn't lie. They just were merely really good about half-truths. Because notice, they didn't do what Pharaoh asked them to do. Why? Because their conscience was biblically formed. They're not going to take life. And so years passed. We, we failed to understand that in order for this program to carry itself out, the Pharaoh has to be leading for a number of years to realize that there's still boys on the scene. So if you look at verse um, 17, 18, there's literally years that go by. Pharaoh realizes that this whole population control thing's not working. He brings the ladies in, verse, seven, verse 18. Called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And notice what they say. They say, listen, I don't know if you understand the whole birthing process. The Hebrew women, they just pop right out. We can't get there in time. Now, we don't know if the Hebrew women, which I'm, I'm sh- these are smart gals, said, hey, if you call for us, wait till the baby drops and then call us. And then we'll just kind of drag our feet and get over to your house to say we just couldn't get there in time. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. They weren't lying. They just weren't revealing all the information, <laughs> which is okay. Think about Nazi Germany. And the men and women and families that hid Jews in their house. And those Nazis would come knocking. It's, what we call, it's also called the principle of disclosure because I don't hold any family guilty who when they answer the door, that Nazi soldier says, do you have any Jews here? And that family says, we have no Jews here. You know what? That, that's not a lie. It's called the principle of disclosure. Because what's being asked is, do you have any Jews here we can kill? And your response is, we don't have Jews here that you can kill. (laughs) Right? Because we know the intentions, and we know that in this situation, in Exodus, God rewarded these women. Obviously, they weren't lying. They were just communicating half-truth. And God rewarded them for it. See, and they didn't lie because this wasn't about them. This is a selfless act of protecting somebody else, which it made it more honorable to God, and that's why he rewards them with what? Families of their own. Midwives would often be midwives because they themselves couldn't have children. And so these women were put into employment to help those other women who were able to get pregnant and give birth. It's one of the oldest professions in the world, midwifery. But notice, these women are honored by God. Why? Because they valued life. And they risked their own lives. Because think about it. These women had years to prepare their statement because they knew they were going to be called in. They knew Pharaoh was going to be like, he's going to discover something and go, tell me more about this. So they had time to work on their explanation. Oh, the principle of disclosure, so good, right? To protect human life, God honored them because he, they honored him. Last point, the principle of reward. And there it is. He who honors me, I will honor, God says. First Samuel chapter two, I believe. Look what happens here. Verse 
20. So God was good to the midwives. Notice there's no lying. There's no like punishment. Like God, how come you weren't truthful, right? Like, no. He blessed them. Not only did the people continue to multiply (laughs) Israel, but the midwives were able to have households of them for themselves. Is that awesome? Like God says, because you valued life, I'm going to bless you with life. Here's the irony. Pharaoh's plan of genocide included the preservation of daughters. Kill the boys, spare the daughters. But as things turned out, it was the daughters that were its downfall. Let's go, ladies. Yeah! And in saving baby boys from the systemic extermination, they saved their nation and its future leader who would later lead them, two million of them, out of slavery to freedom in the promised land. And guess who we get to meet next week? Baby Moses. (laughs) But it's important. Think about the history. From slavery to slaughter, evil. Evil, but yet God proves himself sovereign. What you have meant for evil, God is going to bring good. We see this with Pharaoh. We see this with Herod. Think about your own life. You are here and alive and created with intrinsic worth. And to help consider others as less a burden and more a blessing. Help point people out of slavery into freedom, which can only be found in him who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's Jesus. Consider him who takes our guilt and our condemnation and as often offers us life and joy abundantly to a world out there that is making horrible choices and decisions. Lead them into something better. Lead them, in this, lead them to the feet of Christ who offers forgiveness for all. Amen? There's so much more we can unpack, but that's, that's all we can take today. Plus, we got those outside. Look at them all clamoring out there. Should we just go on, just look at them? No. Hey, I want you to know that this conversation is a to-be-continued conversation. If you want connection with people who have maybe gone through abortions and have found forgiveness and, and freedom in in processing this there are women here in this church that i would love to connect you with if there's a ongoing conversation about the topic in general or how we can be a little bit more proactive in this uh, i know diane uh, ponzo is actively involved as well as pam and and linda as well so uh, diane you're did you I, I, we didn't connect but did you bring any of those flyers or pamphlets okay what's the website I'm, I'm, i know i just put you on the spot uh, there is there there are laws that are trying to be approved that are trying to make abortion easier, uh, where a child who's a minor doesn't have to get parental uh, um, uh, authorization for this. Um, it's it's just you guys. It's just we have to be a voice for those that are, don't have a voice. So, Diane, what's that? Uh, do you have that website yet? Just when you thought, uh, say it's Apple. She's using an Apple device. It's, it's slow. It's slow. So, guys, I haven't taken the mark of the beast, just so you guys know, and I refuse to, so <laughs> just kidding. I kid because I love. I kid because I love. What is it? Um, 
it goes too far.com. It's a new grassroots effort that's just saying, here's some of the stuff that's uh, in the legislature and stuff that's trying to be passed. It's, it's garbage. It's garbage. It doesn't lead to, it's a, it creates a continual culture of death. And uh, we don't, we don't want to support that. And may I say, just real quick, on this topic, because I don't want to have to do it later. We wonder why there's so much violence and hostility in our country, and we want to blame guns. And we want to, bl- listen, you have a culture that doesn't protect the unborn. You're going to have a culture that doesn't respect life, period. This has nothing to do with guns. Take away the guns, people have forks. You take away forks, people have toothpicks. I mean, it's going to, the evil that exists in our hearts let me just tell you, if you do not value the unborn and have this view of sanctity of life that comes from the Bible, there will be a total disregard. That's why this has nothing to do with gun control, and this has nothing to do with video games and violent movies. This has to do with a culture of death that we are called to speak against. No more preaching. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the relevancy of the message that continues to be so critical, important for today. Thank you, God, that you value all of human life. Help us to understand this more deeply, more more, uh, critically than ever. Help us to be the voice in our culture that says these are things that are established, that are truthful, not our truth, but your truth. That you're a God who wants flourishing. You're a God that wants fruitfulness and that anything that stands in opposition to you is something that will destroy us and it's not good for us. Thank you for the examples of Shipra and Pua. Thank you for these two heroes of the faith who feared you and protected life. Lord, help us to walk in the same manner as them. Lord, continue to allow us to press close to you. This This is not a battle that's our battle. The battle belongs to you, O Lord. Find us to be faithful agents of life here on earth while we are here. Pointing everyone that we meet to the life and liberty that's found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiving us. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you soon.